Our Bible reading is Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abraham called, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. Thank you, Simon. Does that sound a bit loud? 
Yeah, just a bit. Okay, I'll leave you in to sort that one out. Uh, thank you for reading that passage from Genesis for us, Simon. Um, last Sunday, if you were here, you'll know that uh, we started a new series uh, looking at the book of Genesis from chapter 10 chapter 12 rather, uh, onwards. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be following the story of a man called Abraham, Abraham rather, who later became Abraham. Now in chapter 12, Abraham was a man on a journey. Uh, Right at the beginning of it, we find that Abraham is living in a place called Haran, uh, somewhere located in what's now modern-day Turkey. And by the end of the chapter, he's found his way a long way south, all the way to Egypt. But he wasn't just a man on a physical journey, going from one place to another. He was also a man on a spiritual journey, a journey of faith, a journey with God. And like all true spiritual journeys, it had begun by God taking the initiative. If you were here last Sunday, you'll remember that chapter 12 starts with God speaking to Abram. And what God said to Abram was this, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. So right at the start of chapter 12, we have God reaching out to Abraham, God taking the initiative, God speaking to him. And we have Abraham, Abraham responding, trusting in God, and setting out not just on the physical journey to Canaan and beyond, but also a journey of learning how to trust in God. And one of the things that we're going to see from the life of Abram over the next few Sundays is how his faith coped when it had to deal with the difficulties of the real world. In chapter 12, you remember that he had to deal with famine. And in a society where livestock was was key to survival, this was disastrous. And again, here in chapter 13, Abraham, Abraham is facing very real threats to his physical survival. How is he going to cope? And more to the point, where is God going to fit into all these things that are happening to Abraham? Let's pray before we think about them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that the things that we have in the Bible are there to help us. They're not just to inform us about things that have taken place a long time ago, but they're actually to help us, help us to connect with you, help us to understand our relationship with you, and help us to live for you better. And Heavenly Father, we pray that as we think about this part of your word from chapter 13 of Genesis, you'll help us to learn some of those things this evening. Amen. Chapter 13 opens with Abram on the road again. He's been humiliated and frankly thrown out of Egypt and he's heading north again. Verse 5 tells us that he ends up back, I suppose you could say, much where he started, in the area between Bethel and Ai. If you check back to verse 8 of chapter 12, you'll see that that's where he'd been living before he set out on that journey to Egypt. Back where he started. But as we said, still facing very real threats, very real threats to his survival. Now, I suppose you could say that the presenting problem, the key problem, was in a way similar to the problem he was facing in chapter 12. There weren't enough natural resources to keep his livestock alive. Verse tells us that whatever problems he'd had in Egypt, it hadn't affected his credit rating. 
His flocks were growing. His wealth was accumulating. Now, in the ancient world, uh, you, you lived in an agricultural society, and very often wealth was measured by the flocks, by the livestock you possessed. And those were just getting bigger and bigger. And, of course, the downside of that is they need more pasture. They need more water. More animals means, quite literally, more mouths to feed, more mouths to water. And there wasn't enough of either. And yes, if you're counting your livestock, your wealth in terms of your livestock, if you can't keep your livestock uh, alive, your wealth is going down drastically. But that wasn't just the only threat that he was facing. It wasn't just the threat to his possessions. There was also a threat to Abram's personal relationships. His relationship with his nephew Lot. Now Lot had been with him right from the beginning. Right when Abram responded to God's call to leave Haran and to go to this new land that God was going to show him, Lot was there. And Lot had shared all Abram's journey. He'd take, taken the same step of faith as Abram. He's headed for this land that God had spoken about. And he'd also experienced the journey beyond Bethel down to Egypt and back again. He'd seen it all. And he'd accumulated flocks as well. And there was now competition between Abram and Lot for the resources needed to keep those flocks and animals alive. Verse 7 talks about quarreling between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. You can't help wondering if Abram and Lot from time to time found themselves, you know, wading in and breaking up fights. You know, there was tension, there was difficulty. There was a real threat to the relationships between these two individuals and their households. And there was an external threat. Verse 7 also tells us that there were Canaanites and Perizzites also living in the land. Now, they would have had livestock. They would have interests. They might not have appreciated these characters rolling up from who knows where. Another point of tension, another point of potential conflict, another point of potential threat and risk. And on top of all these things, this situation also represented a moral and a spiritual threat to Abram. You see, in chapter 12, if you think about it, he'd faced a similar kind of a threat, and, well, he hadn't handled it terribly well, had he? He'd ended up morally compromised. He'd ended up morally embarrassed. He'd ended up morally humiliated. How was he going to handle this situation? In a good way or a selfish one? But it wasn't just a moral challenge. It wasn't just a moral threat. It also represented a real threat and a challenge to his trust in God. Think back to the start of chapter 12. God had asked Abraham to to set out for this, this land that God was going to show him. And God had made big promises about what this would mean for Abraham. What God said was, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And yet the land that... God had seemed to take Abraham too, seemed to be, well, let's face it, less than great. It was inadequate. Unable to meet the needs of Abraham and Lot's livestock. You know, it would have been understandable if Abraham had said to himself, you know, this land isn't as wonderful as I was hoping it was going to be. How on earth was Abraham supposed to become a great nation if he couldn't keep his animals alive? There was a very real threat here 
to Abram's faith. It wasn't just a physical threat. It wasn't a threat to his relationships with other people. It wasn't a threat to his morality. It was actually a threat that was spiritual at, at, at bottom line. Now, you might say, well, okay, this is all very well interesting, but it, it happened a long, long time ago, didn't it? I mean, I'm not going to say who here keeps livestock today, because I know I think there's at least one person in church who does keep livestock here today. But let's face it, most of us don't keep livestock. We may have a pet cat and a pet tortoise, but that's about the stretch of it. And it's very difficult to relate to, to life, you know, 3,000 years ago plus in an agricultural society when everything seems incredibly different. But the issues we face aren't all that different at all, are they? You know, we face threats to our well-being. We face threats to our relationships. We still have moral dilemmas and, and questions that we have to grapple with. And yes, we face threats to our faith as well, don't we? You know, the world of Abraham may be completely different from what we're used to, but the situations that we have to face aren't that far away at all. And so, you know, Abraham's experience is the experience of, of many Christians today. You know, um, you know, how are we going to have, how are we going to have enough money to, 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 to live? How are we going to have enough money to pay off a student loan? How are we going to have enough money to pay off the mortgage? How are we going to have enough money to, to deal with that unexpected thing that's gone wrong with the car? And it's quite extraordinary how much the garage wants to put it right. How are we going to handle difficult relationships with other people? How are we going to deal with moral dilemmas when the easy way is the wrong way? And how are we going as a Christian to square God's promises when things are not going well? As I say, Genesis may describe a different time and a different world, but the dilemmas and issues we face are much the same. Just like Abraham, we face threats. And because we face threats, we all have to make choices, don't we? We have to make choices in response to the things that happen. And Abraham had a choice to make. The situation wasn't going to get better by itself, was it? The land was inadequate, incapable of supporting the combined flocks of Abraham and Lot. The relationships between their herdsmen, well, they weren't going to get better, were they? They were only going to get worse. And inevitably, there was a risk that the relationship between Abram and Lot was just going to get sourer and sourer and more difficult. Something had to be done. And the responsibility lay with Abram. We're talking about a patriarchal society, you know, where there was one person at the top uh, and everything flowed down from that person. There was one person who, who called the shots. It was like a clan. There was a, a clan chief and, and he was the responsible person. He called the shots uh, and that person was Abram. Uh, Abram and Lot, yes, they were separate families, but they were part of the same clan and Abram would have had that leadership role because he was the oldest. What was he going to do? Well, because of his seniority, the fact that he probably was the wealthiest and probably the strongest in terms of being able to turn out a fighting force, he would have been perfectly entitled to say to Lot, this is what we're going to do, and that's it. To impose the decision on Lot, uh, to, with, with all the ill feeling that that might cause, but just say, we're going to do this, and that's that, and we're not going to talk about it. But it's not what Abram does. 
Did you see, what Abram does is Abram chooses to give Lot the opportunity to make the choice. If you remember the reading that Simon read for us, um, Abram sort of said, you know, we don't want to have quarrels here. Um, There's lots of land in front of us. Tell you what, let's split up. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. He chooses to give Lot the first choice. Now, when you think about it, that's quite a contrast with the way he was handling situations in chapter 12, where clearly he was looking out for number one. Now, he's gracious, he's generous, he's self-giving. He's willing to put his own needs second to those of Lot. Now, what had made the difference? What had made the difference between, between the way he was handling things in chapter 12 and the way he was handling things in chapter 13? Well, I believe... It was because Abram had sorted out his relationship with God. And it was because of that that he could deal with his relationship with Lot in a good way. If you think back to the second chapter of 12, and apologies if you weren't here last Sunday because we're going back to chapter 12 a lot. If you think back to the second half of chapter 12, Abram seems to stop engaging with God. In verse 8, he reaches Bethel, and we're told that he builds an altar to the Lord. But after that, it's Abram making all the decisions. He decides to head off for the Negev. And then he decides to head off to Egypt. And then he decides to play fast and loose with the truth. And we know how well that went. If you look at the start of chapter 13 you see him actually making the journey in reverse. Starting at Egypt, back to the Negev, heading back to Bethel. And I believe that we're supposed to see in that not just a physical journey, but also a spiritual journey. Going back to where it started to go wrong. Putting things right. A spiritual journey back to God. If you look at verses 3 and chapter 4, verses 4 of, 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 of chapter 13, you have that, that journey back to where it all went wrong listed out for you. And right at the end at verse 4, when he gets back to Bethel, what does he do? There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. He went back to where he had left God and reestablished that link with God. Now, If your experience of Christian life is anything like mine, you will know, you may not care to discuss it publicly, but you will know there have been times when you have drifted away from God in some way. You have become distanced away from God. And for some of us, it may be more radical and more difficult than that, you know. Um, you know, at one point we were, you know, in a good place in relationship to God, but for some reason, it got difficult and we, we drifted or perhaps we walked away and, you know, we were no longer really with God. God will still be there where you left him, waiting for you. That's what Abram found. Now, this doesn't mean physically going back uh, to wherever it was the problem actually occurred, nor does it necessarily mean, you know, going over past events which perhaps should be better left in the past. 
But it does mean recognizing where and how we began to lose touch with God. And as Abram did, going back to him, calling on the name of the Lord and bringing him back into our life and into our experience and into our reality. Abram makes that choice to recommit and reconnect with God. And that in turn guides the way he deals with the threats he faces. Restored faith enables him to be gracious. It enables him to be generous. It enables him to be wise. You see, he solves the problem without planting seeds for new ones. He actually creates a situation where Lot is never going to be in a position to grumble and moan and grouch about the rotten deal that he was given. Because Abraham gives him, well, the deal that anyone would want. But what about Lot? What about the choice that Lot has to make? How did he get on? If you think about it, Lot was facing very similar questions to Abraham. A threat to his survival, a threat to relationships. Now, we said earlier, didn't we, that Lot had had seen it all. He'd started with Abraham in Haran. He'd made the journey all the way through Bethel, down to Egypt uh, and back again. He'd seen it all. He'd seen Abram's faith. He'd seen Abram's commitment to God. He'd been part of the journey. He'd been part of it all. And when he has this choice to choose which bit of the land he's going to have, what does he go for? He goes for the bit that's most like Egypt. Did you notice that? That's what he goes for. Verse 10. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor. It was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And that's what he goes for. Now, frankly, in terms of welfare and prosperity, it was a no-brainer. The whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, ideal for raising livestock, ideal for all sorts of other agricultural uh, products. You know, you could grow stuff there as well as looking after your animals. It was a place where people could live well. It's a place where they could be prosperous. A place where, you know, uh, they wouldn't have to worry as much as the mountainous area where Abram and Lot were hanging out at the moment. I mean, it was an obvious thing to do. Abram and Lot had both made their choices. Abram's choice had to be gracious and generous. Lot's choice was marked. Now you might say this is fair enough by self-interest. But here's a question to think about. Was it really in Lot's best interests? We'll come back that to, to a minute, but hold that thought with you. But for the time time being, just notice that for both Abram and Lot, their choices, their decisions involved risks of one sort or another. Both Lot, both Abram were taking a risk. Now for Abram, the risk was physical. It was the lack of water, the lack of resources, the same problem. The area that Abram was left with after Lot had made his choice was not well watered. We know that. As his flocks grew, he might find himself facing exactly the same problem that he'd been trying to solve. And remember, you know, there were these other peoples living in the area, the Canaanites, the Perizzites. You know, how were they going to react to him? 
Were they going to become hostile as Abraham's flocks needed more and more of the scarce resources that were available? Would there be conflict? You know, Abram's choice was a faith choice and a faith risk. In choosing to let Lot have the first choice, he must have known that he was running the risk of ending up with second best. The plain of Jordan, like Egypt, was sustained by river water. There were rivers that flowed through that area, uh, providing a a guarantee of, of water to sustain life. The mountains that uh, Abraham was left with, well, they didn't have rivers. They were dependent on rainwater. Now, let's face it, we live in Britain, don't we? We know what rainwater is like. You know, it's one of two things. You either have too much of it and you have floods or you have none at all and you have a drought. And that was the risk that Abraham was taking. He was going to be dependent not on the relatively secure supply of water coming from rivers, but from the uncertain supply of water coming from the heavens. You know, in the Bible, rainfall is often seen as a symbol of divine goodness. But it's also a reminder of our dependence on God. In taking this risk, because of the choice that he has made, in a very real sense, Abraham was risking his trust in God, his trust in God to provide the things that he needed to survive and to exist and and to prosper and to do well. Now, if the risk that Abraham faced was physical, the risk that Lot faced was was moral and spiritual, spiritual. Verse 12 tells us that Lot settled in the area on the plains of Jordan, close to the city of Sodom. Sodom. And the next verse tells us that the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now, here's a question to think about. Why did he settle there? Was the land a bit better there, perhaps? Maybe it was a bit less crowded than some of the other areas of the plain? Or did he just not think about it at all? Did he just say to himself, um, you know, this is a nice place, why worry about the neighbors? But the thought that the choice that he made because he thought it would be good for him actually proved to be illusory. In actual fact, as we read on, we'll find that he'd actually moved to an unbelievably uncertain and an unbelievably dangerous place. He had sought physical safety. What he found was physical risk. He found moral risk. He found spiritual risk. Now, it's foolish to think that we can live in a world without risk. The world's an uncertain place. Unexpected things happen. Plans go wrong, no matter how careful you may be. When we make decisions, we can never be sure about how they're going to work out. There will be risks. We don't have a choice about that. There will be risks. And so when we make choices, we need to think about the risks that we're letting ourselves in for. Think about the relationships that you might get into. Perhaps a romantic relationship, perhaps a business relationship. You go into partnership and business with somebody, for instance. Do these people share your values? 
what effect are they going to have on your relationship with Jesus? Is it going to be helpful or unhelpful? Think about some job that you might be interested in taking on. Okay, it's got the pay, it's got the prospects, but is it going to ask you to make moral compromises? Isn't going to actually face you with uncomfortable situations that, you know, with retrospect, you'd sooner not have put yourself in. And how much of it's your time is it actually going to take? And when is it going to take that time? Is it going to take that time on a Sunday? Is it going to take that time when, you know, your small group is meeting? Is it actually going to get in the way of spending time with Christian fellowship, focusing on Jesus? Or that social group, yeah, they're a great laugh, but what are they laughing at? And should you be laughing with them? And... uh, What about that party you've been invited to? It's going to be a great party, but is there going to be an unhealthy alcohol culture there? And if there is, are there going to be people who are going to look out for you? Or are they just going to watch you make a fool of yourself and tell you about it afterwards when, quite frankly, you'd sooner not know? There's nothing wrong with being in a relationship There's nothing wrong with having a job. There's nothing wrong with hanging out with friends. There's nothing wrong with going to parties. But whatever we do, whatever choices we make, we need to ask ourselves, where are the risks? And are these risks that I should be taking? And they may be different risks from the risks that somebody else here should be taking because we're all different and we all have different points of weaknesses. And something that's an issue for somebody may not be an issue for somebody else. But we all all face risks. We all have weaknesses. We have all places and situations and things that we shouldn't be putting ourselves into. Perhaps the question that we ought to be asking ourselves are, are the risks that we're taking the kind of risks where I can trust God to be with me or are they the kind of risks, the kind of risks um, that I'm not sure I can expect God to be with me in? And if the answer is no, maybe, maybe that's a risk too far. Both Abram and Lot were taking risks in the choices they made. Can I suggest the difference was that while the risks Abram took encouraged him to trust in God? The risks that Lot took encouraged him to trust in himself and in the plains of Jordan. And the point is that those well-watered plains weren't going to last. We read verse 10 a few minutes ago, but I didn't read all of it. This is how it finished. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot thought this choice would secure his future. In the event, and this is hardly a plot spoiler, he actually lost everything. By contrast, the risks that Abraham did, took, encouraged him to trust, to trust in the promises of God. But before we think about those promises, can I just draw your attention to one last, one thing about Lot, one last thing about Lot really. Did you notice that there were no promises to Lot at all? Nothing at all. Lot had been with Abraham from the beginning. 
He'd faced the threats with Abraham. He'd made choices like Abraham, accepted risks like Abraham, but now he had left. And the promises of God were for Abram and Abram alone. We've already thought about some of the uncertainties that Abram faced now that Lot had moved to the plains of Jordan. Well, here's another one. Abram was childless. And Lot was in all likelihood is his heir, the person who would inherit from Abram when Abram passed away. But Lot was gone. God had spoken about making him into a great nation. His heir had gone. How was this supposed to work out? And it's at this point, at this point when Abram is left thinking about the consequences of his choices, thinking about the risks that he faced, it's at this point that God speaks to him once more to reconfirm the promise that he'd already made to Abram right at the start of chapter 12. Abram had made the gracious choice, accepted the risks, and now God steps in to reassure him. And you can see what God says to Abram from verses 14 to 17 in our reading. Now, the thing that I find most striking about these verses is how real and how focused they are. If you think back to chapter 12 and the promise that that starts right at the beginning of chapter 12, I mean, it's general, isn't it? It's, it's a bit unclear as to what it actually means. You know, there's this land somewhere, and there's a lot of talk about blessing, but, you know, it doesn't go into a great deal of detail, does it? In chapter 13, it does. It becomes focused, it becomes specific. For instance, uh, chapter 12 had spoken about this unspecified land that God would reveal sometime in the future. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 13 speak about this land, uh, not as somewhere a long way away, but they speak about this land, the land that Abraham could see right now. Lot had just left Abram. Abram had no son. There was no natural heir. And was God was saying, yes, your offspring will inherit the land from you. It won't be a nephew. It won't be a stranger. You will have blood descendants. And they will inherit from you when you die. They'll become numerous and they will fill this land with your descendants, Abraham. And did you notice that God's promise ends with an invitation in verse 17? Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. You know, it was as if I was to say to you, here are the keys to a car. Take them. Get into it. Drive away. Enjoy the car. It's yours. And that's what God is saying to Abraham. Have a look at this land. No, don't have a look at it. Walk around it. Explore it. See what a wonderful place it is. Enjoy it. It's yours. Real promises, tangible promises, specific promises, promises that are aimed just at the sort of things that must have been making Abraham feel so uncomfortable as he watched Lot disappearing into the distance. Abraham had given up things to deal with the threats that he faced. He could have said, I'm having the plains of Jordan. 
and made an enemy for life. Instead, he chose the path of grace, of generosity, of giving, not taking. And now he was being assured of God's blessing on him. Jesus said something very similar in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times much and will inherit eternal life. You know, if we are serious about following Jesus, there will be times when we give things up. Perhaps our time perhaps a relationship, perhaps an opportunity. Times when you have the chance to do something that you would really, really like to do. Something that seems so obvious that no one can understand why you don't. But because you know it's going to get in the way of following Jesus. Now there's no maybe about this. It will happen may not happen often, but it will happen when you actually have to make the choice of giving something up because following Jesus is, is more important. But what Jesus was saying and what Abraham discovered is that when we give things up for God, we won't miss out. You know, Lot thought that he was making a smart choice. What he didn't know was that he was gaining a wasteland, because that's what he ended up with. Abram, what did Abram gathered, gain? He gained a promised land. Tell me, which would you really rather have? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that, yes, Following you is not necessarily always going to be comfortable because we don't live in a comfortable world. And following you is not always going to be easy because this world doesn't make it easy to follow you. And yes, following you may involve giving things up. But Heavenly Father, thank you that when we give up things for you, we get better things in return. Amen.